Brandon Steiner, and this is Unplugged with Brandon Steiner. Mark Messier. A lot of people don't know you're going to be a bro- you're going to be a neighbor. You're involved with a pretty big project. You want to tell us a little bit about that and why? Yeah, I've uh, spent the last four years uh, actually in the Bronx. Um, started out as a small endeavor to uh, to relieve some of the pressure on ice here in the in the city, and uh, we were looking at a and a building over in Queens, and the deal fell through, and the EDC of uh, of the city told us to go look at this beautiful structure in the Bronx, and we said, well, where is that? And they go, well, it's just about past uh, Yankee Stadium. So we went and looked at the Kingsbridge Armory on 195th Street and uh, quickly realized that uh, it was a huge building, uh, much bigger than we were anticipating. We got the architects to come in there and and uh, realized that we could uh, put nine sheets of ice in there and become the world's largest indoor ice facility and really kind of begin the process of creating opportunity for kids in the Bronx and across the metropolitan area. Just to throw a few numbers out, uh, uh, there's, in the national average in the, across the United States, there's one sheet of ice per 100,000 people. Uh, in, the, in the metropolitan area, there's one sheet of ice per 1.2 million people. So we could put 80 sheets of ice in the metropolitan area and still be under the national average there. So we, uh, we feel that there's a real need for it. Uh, we got under just under 2 million kids on, in uh, the public schools um, without a chance to play hockey because of access. There's no access. There are hardly any rinks. And if there are, they're already sold out. And uh, create the opportunity. And uh, we feel there's a tremendous amount of opportunity and, and talent, uh, not only in the in the metropolitan area, but also in the Bronx, I've never had the opportunity. So this is, I mean, this is not a small undertaking. I thought hockey was a tough sport till I got into commercial real estate. Uh, that, that's a real, that's a real blood sport. Uh, but it isn't. It's a, it's a hundred-year-old building. It's a city-owned. It's a landmark building, and you can only imagine what that encompasses. Trying to repurpose it and and do what we're trying to do, but it's a, it's an incredible uh, a vision. Um, it's an incredible. Uh, and I keep using the word opportunity because that's what we're trying to create is opportunity for our kids. And, and I think m- for most of you here that were in 1994, I think when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup, we really transcended the game of hockey and, and our outreach was far beyond anybody that was just a hockey player uh, or just interested in hockey. I think people and kids that maybe had never seen a hockey game became interested. And those kids maybe turned around to say, well, I'd like to try hockey, only to find out that it was impossible. And we, 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 we like to joke, and it's not a joke, but that if you're 12 years old uh, living in a city, you have to retire because otherwise you have to move out of the city in order to continue to play hockey, which shouldn't be the case with three National Hockey League franchises here and, and all the idols and all the opportunities. So, you know, it's something that, uh, it, it's a big project. Um, you know, we're going to create a lot of jobs. Um, we're going to create a lot of access. Um, is this tournaments coming in? Is it'll this, it'll uh, be we, we, you know it's kinds of activity international. Um, we've already getting calls and, and and fielding calls from Europe, all over Europe, from China, uh, for people that uh, want to send kids here, that people want to come and train here. Uh, we'll have all ice sports, uh, you know, short track Will speed skating. Will you be actively skating. involved? I mean, you're going to actively involved. We're going to find you. At, we're going to find you. Brandon, I'm a CEO now. <laughs> well, I, I never thought of you anything differently, to be honest with you. I mean, if so you what the hell is a CEO? From my standpoint, I don't think there was any more of a CEO than you on the ice. I mean, well, come you. on. I mean, right? Thank you. I mean, there's nobody that ran 
I mean, you're you're the dream captain. I mean, because I think ultimately, as a as a manager, as a CEO myself, like you ultimately want to have your players manage themselves, and you ultimately have one player or two that can really, and you were always that player, seemed like to me. Well, I think uh, I learned a lot uh, from a lot of people along the way, which I think most leaders do. Um, my father was an ex-hockey player. He was a real team guy. He was an educator. He had his master's degrees in education and psychology. So I was his, my brother and two sisters were his test uh, uh, bunnies or, or lab rats or whatever you want to call us. Um, but I did. I, I had a lot of great players, a lot of great coaches as I was growing up and, you know, learning how to become a professional and and it, time goes by so quickly, and next thing you know, you're thrust in the position of leadership and make a lot of mistakes along the way. But I think the most important thing that there that you can do, or that I tried to do, was be very honest and and uh, very transparent, uh, so the players around me really could trust me, and they knew that I had their best interest uh, at heart. And so, if you did make a mistake, it wasn't critical, and nobody was pointing fingers, and we could figure out how to get through a mistake and continue on and and you know, it was worked out in Edmonton, obviously. But uh, I'd never dreamt coming to New York that I would have the the type of players and and the, and the type of people and character coming into another organization. I thought it was a dream come true to have that in, in Edmonton because players can go through their whole career and never have that. I get traded, you know, after a good run in Edmonton, come into New York having no idea who's on the team, or only to fall into some unbelievable talent, unbelievable character. And um, and set off on another journey of her own there until ultimately winning the Stanley Cup in 1994. You know, the C word, you talk a lot about culture. But what do you tell a team? I know you're a Yankee fan, and obviously they're kind of going through a reset here after a great run. What do you tell a team like this who's got, seems like it's got a lot of talent, it's starting to be, 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 begin to build something really special? Um, what, what do you do? What, what, what do you think the difference is between this team really reaching its ultimate potential over these next couple of years? Well, I think one of the, the great things that a, that a franchise like the Yankees have or the Montreal Canadiens or, you know, you'd look at any sport that have history and tradition um, and have had success. I mean, you have all the ingredients that you need um, in a, in a franchise like the Yankees because of the great players that have come through here, because of the successes that they've had, and because of the traditions that the people that were here before the players or the managers or the owners now set in stone. And I think what the Yankees have been able to do so well over the years is really keep their focus on those traditions, on those cultures, and, you know, George had his way that he liked things done. I don't see anybody out there with facial hair still. I mean, uh, there's certain things that you think might be just small things, but it's part of the culture. It's part of who you have to be in order to play in this franchise. And if you don't like, if you don't like it, then you're not welcome here. And I think that uh, when you drift off that kind of, or those kinds of philosophies, then you're kind of just wavering in the wind without anything to latch onto when things go wrong or when you have an off year. So, you know, I think the, the Yankees have been able to do that. Uh, they've been able to, um, you know, draft and develop players, which is critical in any sport nowadays. Um, I can really talk about the NHL. I mean, other sports I don't know so much about, but the NHL, it's all about drafting and developing now and, uh, and, and giving yourself an opportunity. And then when you match the, the drafting and the developing with your culture that has been instilled year after year after year, and these players come into it, 
a culture that they they know exactly what's expected of of them, and they're the ones that are have to adapt to the culture of the team to be successful, and um, and that's what I see here with the Yankees and. Obviously, all the teams across all sports that have been successful, that's one thing I think across the board that they've done well. You made some changes when you came over. We'll talk about the Rangers for a minute. <laughs> you know, you, you didn't come in, I, went, I don't want to use the word quietly, but there was definitely some immediate changes that you had uh, thought were necessary, you know, back when you went to the Rangers, just from the locker room and certain things. Uh, you want to take us through a few of those, just a couple things? Or well, you probably could remind me of a few, but uh, I think that uh, the, one of the challenges I had coming over from, from Edmonton is that, um, you know, I started Edmonton as an 18-year-old, got drafted in the fourth round, was lucky enough to make the team the first year, and then we went on an incredible run, and within five years, we had won a Stanley Cup. And then, you know, through those years, and then as I got older, and I guess to my 12th year, you know, and then we lost in the semifinals, you, you have so much experience and you've experienced so much of losing and winning, heartbreak and setback and jubilation, all the things that go along with sports. And when I came to New York, the one thing I didn't anticipate was I couldn't use all those experiences with my new teammates because my new teammates weren't really that interested in what happened at Edmonton. And I'm thinking, oh no, how, I didn't think of this. They didn't care that what happened with Wayne and I. They didn't care how we won the Stanley Cup in 84 and what we did and how we ran our warm-up and you know, how we ran our practice. They didn't give two craps about that. All they cared about is how we're gonna create those same experiences together. So here I am sitting with all, what I felt was a lot of intellectual property and I couldn't use references so I had to figure out how we were gonna, and so you do the same thing. You just set up on your own journey and start creating experiences yourself with your new teammates and suffering losses and disappointments and victories and and uh and that's what i did and you know there's always things that you look at uh you know well the one the one thing about that i think we were talking about is is was in the address and one of my favorite times when i played for 26 years was that 15 minutes after warm-up that everybody's in the locker room and everybody's getting ready for the game and you harness 20 players energy together just before you go out onto the ice. And, and harnessing that energy is, was the most important thing for me, I think, um, as a captain and the leadership of the team in order to make sure everybody was invited into the circle, everybody was present, everybody was made feel welcome, everybody was made to feel important. And when I got to New York, you know, I could, you know, it, in Edmonton when I was sitting around the locker room, the way the locker room was constructed is I could sit in my locker room and I could see everybody and everybody could see each other there so we could look in each other's eyes and faces and make sure everybody was engaged and all the things. And when I got to New York, right in the middle of the room, they had a great big table, training table with tape and, and great big water coolers and Gatorade coolers and cups and all that. So I couldn't see the other side of the dressing room. And I was, I, I, when I first got there, I said, well, this is kind of strange. I mean, you know, I can't even see my teammates 10 feet across from me. And so uh, I said to, to, the, uh, to, the, uh, to Neil, I think at the time, I said, and to the coach, I said, do, do you guys not think it's strange that this is kind of blocking, to me it was like blocking energy. I, I use a term that I'm, is, is a visual blockage, but what I was trying to say, this is blocking the energy of 20 guys in the room that are trying to go out there as, a, as one unit and and kick some ass <laughs> but uh 
So we changed that, and there were some other things like that that, uh, that needed to be changed. But there were small things and small hurdles along the way in order to kind of get to the culture thing that we talked about earlier. What was it like to play with Wayne, though? What was, what was so special about Wayne? Well, Wayne was so, Wayne was, uh, first of all, Wayne's very fun. Um, he's really a, a fun guy to hang out with, uh, loves to have a good time, can, has a memory like a walking computer, can remember any statistic from any player that played any sport at any given time. Um, but more importantly, he was so far advanced of us in his maturity as, a, as, a, as an athlete. Um, one story I always tell about Wayne is, is that uh, we lived in the same building after like our, our second year or our third year, but before that, every once in a while, I'd go over to his house and we'd have some beer or we'd get ready to go for dinner. And one day he was getting changed and ready, so I was rummaging around the apartment. I got, found my way into the kitchen and on his, on his kitchen, on a, on a board, he had that month's schedule of the teams that were going to play it. And on each game, he had written down what he thought he should and could do that particular game. So St. Louis on September 3rd, you know, three goals and three assists. And the next game, four goals and two assists. And the next game, you know, five goals, one assist, whatever it was. But he had the whole uh, thing marked out. Uh, and he wasn't that far off often. But uh, his maturity level, his concentration, his pr uh, preparation um, was so far advanced of ours that even though we were the same age and contemporaries in that regard, um, he really was a leader for us in so many ways. His practice habits were unbelievable. Um, he was always the hardest working guy in practice. He worked on his game, his skills. And, uh, and uh, so from that standpoint, uh, it was an amazing learning uh, opportunity to see the greatest player in the world every day in practice and then see him take that into the game and his readiness and preparation for the games. And then, of course, the way he treated the press, um, uh, that was another learning experience there. Uh, there was never a bad question asked of him, no matter how crazy and how many times he had to answer it. Um, from foreign press would come over and instead of rolling his eyes, he would politely he answer. Humble. He was humble. Very humble, and then he treated everybody um, from the locker room attendants, uh, he included everybody. So it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun to play with Wayne. It was a great learning experience. And, um, and we played some of the best hockey ever to be played. To. One quick question. We'll do some questions from the audience. But, Captain, you're down 2-0. <laughs> Tough weekend. You're in the locker room. You've got to speak to the boys. What are you going to say to them? Well, it's a, you know, um, I remember losing the first two games at home against Quebec in 1995. And I made a, I made a statement after that, is that instead of uh, be, being the hunted, now we became the hunters. And, uh, and, and I think that's kind of the philosophy that the Rangers have to get. They have to change their mindset a little bit there. But also, the other diagram that I used to put up uh, or have for myself is one would be on this side of ledger would, would be uh, uh, would be disappointment and then with an arrow pointing this way and then on this side would be determination with an area pointing with an arrow pointing this way so it's d disappointment determination with arrows like that and as you go through um, a playoff series you're gonna feel a lot of disappointment and you can either decide to hang your head or sulk or you can get very determined and so that cycle through two months of playoffs is it just like this. It just goes back and forth, back and forth. And it's how you handle now at, at being down 2 nothing. Instead of being 
disappointed, okay, now we got to get more determined. You know, I think the Rangers feel that they're a better team. I think they feel they should beat Ottawa. I think everybody feels they should be able to beat Ottawa. But they got to get more determined now, more determined than ever, much like they did and get more resolved, just like they did against Montreal when the chips got down. Then you saw the Rangers really battle back and play a hard, stiff game against Montreal and ended up taking the series over. That's what they got to do again. And so the, the two arrows, disappointment, that's, that's, that's two months of hockey. Like that. Okay, we're going to go into the audience. That's good stuff. Simple way of looking at it. Okay. Hello, hello. Hi, Mark. Um, talking about the Rangers and, and their determination, do you think the fact that they changed the line so much is causing a problem? I don't really think so. I think um, making adjustments is critical. Um, I remember in Edmonton in 1983, we had, were one of the first teams that had in the dressing room a great big screen like this that we could push a button and it would come down and while the game was going on, our, our video people would be taking clips of the game. So when we came in against the Islanders, it didn't work very well the first year in 1983, but we could, uh, we could run three or four clips to show us what, how they were killing our, penalty, our, our power play or what they were doing on their power play or penalty kill. And, uh, and of course, that whole world has blown up since then. So making adjustments is critical. Um, and I think that uh, being able to adapt as a player is critical. And, uh, and I think that um, trying to find the right balance uh, and players on any given night is a coach's biggest um, responsibility. And that's going to change. Uh, players don't feel good in some games. They're a little bit hurt. Um, they don't, you know, they are having some bad luck, whatever it is, and then finding that that secret match is, is important. If you can roll your lines and things are going great, you do that. But I would say that the the, the amount of time that it actually happens in, in in a game, in a certainly a playoff game, is probably 30% before you need to make an, a change. And so the players have to be receptive to changing lines or different role. Um, you know the coaches have to be, and um, and you're just always trying to find that secret combination. But uh, it's it's I don't think you can just be you know status quo and just roll your lines out that you've had for so long. At certain point at time, it can become distracting. At the same time, where it's too much, but I don't think we've seen that with the Rangers. Excellent. Hopefully that answered your question. Hi, Mark. Um, in your famous prediction um, against the Devils, were you really feeling like we're going to win or were you just kind of like bullshitting your way through to get the team going or? Mostly bullshitting. The way <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really did believe we could win um, and we had proven it over the, over the regular season. The only thing that separated us and the Devils from first and second overall was we had beaten them six times in the regular season. So I really felt that we were a better team. And um, I had been in situations that before that, because we weren't playing poorly in that series there, but the Devils were really playing well. And much like the Rangers right now, they're not playing poorly. They should have won the last game and they let it slip away, but they got to figure out a way to play better. We had to figure out a way to play better. We couldn't count on the Devils playing worse. You know, they had got the momentum, they were playing very good hockey, and they had proven they were really good hockey throughout their entire season. So we, as a collectively as a group, 
we had to look at each other in, in the room and say, can we play better or is this all that we have to offer? And, and I've never been through a playoff series in my 26 years of, of playing hockey that that critical point will come every year at some point and where you have to look each other in the eye and you all have to get honest with each other and say, is this, is, is this it? Is this as far as we can go? And that point came with the Devils. And as captain, I really did truly believe that we could win, we could, we could beat them, that we were a better team, but we had to figure out collectively and individually how to play better. And we were able to do that. And, and, and of course, everybody talks about game six and scoring goals and all that, but we wouldn't even have been in that game if Richter wouldn't have stood on his head. And then of course, we would have never won game seven if we didn't have a complete team uh, effort. So, you know, you know, you can look at individual efforts here and there and all, but in the end, it's a team that will win championships and that, you know, play consistently as a team. And sure, you might get heroic in individual efforts every once in a while, like Richter in game six or Mateau in game seven, but over a long run, it takes the whole team. I hope it's a good one for you. <clears throat> it's no, hard ba to, no bad ones. Well, it's hard to believe it's been 33 years since that goal against Gordonine of the Islanders, which is one of the great one-on-one -on -one Stanley Cup goals ever scored. So that's a long time ago. Thank you. It was wonderful. I hear what you're doing regarding the skating. It sounds like a wonderful venture and great. Do you still harbor ambitions to be a hockey GM or a, running a, an NHL club? Well, when I, when I left the Rangers to come and join this project, um, it was a tough decision because with 30 teams, there's not a lot of jobs, there's not a lot of GM jobs, there's not a lot of coaching jobs at the NHL level there. And when you get out of it, you know, it's, it's not easy to get back in. But I felt um, this opportunity was, was too important to uh, the city, the kids, and the opportunity to grow the game at a, at a, at a national level uh, here in New York City. And so I made the decision to do it, and uh, we've, we've, we've crossed some rough water along the way, um, uh, trying to get it off the ground and get it built, but uh, um, it looks like things are gonna, gonna finally um, get over the hurdle. And once th this is complete, and, I, and, and, I, and, I've, and I've been a part of building this, um, I would definitely entertain the opportunity of getting back in a position of management of some sort. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's you know part of an ownership or you know president of hockey or managing or coaching. I have no idea, but I've really committed to doing this, and um, and I think it's it was the right decision at the right time, and still plenty young enough to uh, to take some years to do it, and then see what happens uh, on the other side. Well, it's going to be a 30-month construction, and uh, we were supposed to be done uh, in 2018, but we've definitely been delayed, uh, obviously, for all the reasons I'm sure you've all read about. And uh, so if we get ourselves organized this summer, you can just kind of backtrack 30 months. So we're looking at 2020 probably at the earliest. Uh, you know, it's a $350 million project. It's, uh, you know, it's very complicated. It's basically building a ship in a bottle with a 100-year-old building, uh, we've done all kinds of tests inside the building to see what's in there. Um, you know, you got water lines coming right down Reservoir Avenue. Um, it's 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 very complicated, but uh, we got the best engineers in the world. We got the the architects that re redid the Madison Square Garden. We got the best in class of of engineers and architects to do this. So we're quite confident that we can build something that everybody will be proud of.
Mark, is there a pro is there a player out there that reminds you of you a little bit that you say, "Wow, love that love that guy's game." Is it you know, a couple of players out there that you just say, "Wow, those are two guys to watch." I thought Paul Newman and Slapshot was a good indication. <laughs> <laughs> and you watch that movie like once I a year. I watch that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it for the first time with my son the other day, and I go, "Wow, I forgot it was a little bit of risque." Yeah, he's he's only 13. I was thinking it was gonna be so fun. I go, "Whoa, that's a little."